welcome to JudgeCast. This is your host, one of your two hosts, Sean Catanese, Level 2 Judge from Berkeley, California. And Jose Boveda, Level 1.5 from Sacramento, California. I'm reaching, man. I, I really want it. Good. It's glad to hear you're still motivated. Um, fantastic, in fact. I hope uh, maybe some more of this, some more testing, some more practice tests online. You'll get there. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been working on it. I've been, you know, uh, uh, snuggling with the comp rules uh, in bed every night. How does your How does uh, your girlfriend Kitty feel about that? Uh, she uh, thinks that I should have printed it on softer paper. Okay, so so it's in there, but she doesn't feel excluded or jealous of it. That's that's a good thing. No, no, we're we're you know. Open to the magic experience. You know she plays magic. For some reason, uh, I do pretty well against her when we're in public. But uh, every time we play just like uh, here uh, at my place or whatever, she she totally stomps me. I don't understand what it is. It's not me being easy on her. I play uh, against her with the same verve I play anybody else. And she just houses me. I don't understand. Well, my wife Lindsay is the same way. Um, she actually regularly beats me at EDH with her uh, Una, Queen of the Fae deck. Granted, I built it for her, but, I mean, she's piloting it, and I'm not helping her, and she's kicking my ass. So, shall we move on to our, our agenda? Let our uh, listeners know what's in store? Oh, yeah, that was Agenda Zero. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Belchcast. <laughs> I might just have to cut that part out. We'll see if I actually remember. <laughs> Yeah, hey, you you did cut a part out, and and I got called nasty names by level five Toby Elliott because of it. Okay, let's talk about that first. Winter uh, Winter Orb, Jose. What kind of an artifact was that when it was printed back in Alpha? It was a continuous artifact, and you knew that today. You knew that no, when I knew that when we recorded last. I got all giddy talking about poly artifacts. And then I realized Winter Orb is not a poly artifact. It's a continuous artifact. And then, uh, of course, I went on to correct myself. And then I went on to cut that part out. Okay. I don't understand why. <laughs> but now now Toby thinks that I'm a colossal idiot. And, uh, you know, he, he I admire him. He has uh, this encyclopedic knowledge of uh, magic cards, too. And, uh, and uh, to, to goof on air like that, oh, man. Well, rest assured, there will be plenty more goofs on air for you, me, and hopefully our guests in the future, too. Actually, we almost had a guest uh, today. That's right. Uh, Siege Stake from IRC, also known as CJ Schrader. Um, he was going to be on. We had some logistical issues, so he's not able to make it today. But we hope to have him in the, on in the future, um, along with some other guests, hopefully. Um, you know, And also... If you would like to be a guest on JudgeCast, by all means, send an email to judgecast at gmail.com. I'd be happy to try and fit you into the schedule logistically, that sort of thing. Um, definitely interested in having more guests on, um, especially as the sort of three-man format or three-voice format uh, really works. So, Yep, I totally agree. But please, if you want to be on JudgeCast, do not try to uh, decide if you can be on JudgeCast randomly. Um, please do not offer any sort of bribe or price split uh, to be on JudgeCast uh, because we will just DQ you right off the bat. 
Well, actually, you know, you could offer us a bribe. I mean, there's nothing in the in the rules that says you can't offer a judge a bribe. I mean, it's bad. That's kind of weird. Is that is that I suppose that's technically true, but it's one of those assumed things like don't pull a gun at a tournament, you know? It does not say in the rules specifically that you cannot, you know, pull a gun at a tournament. Well, no, but I mean, that's that falls under violence and threats and that sort of thing. That's that's pretty easy. Um, show me in bribery where it talks about not bribing a judge, though. Can you do that? Uh, I cannot. And is that because you don't know where to look, or because it's not there? <laughs> it's I I know where where the section on bribery and collusion is. Okay. It's uh, actually bribery and wagering. Wagering. Sorry. It's okay. Yeah, um, all the examples are, you know, bribery occurs when an, a player offers an incentive to entice an opponent into conceding, drawing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, there's nothing, I mean, nothing involving a, a judge here. Um, let's see, yeah, nothing involving a judge at all. So, you know, um, by all means, bribe your judges. Hello and welcome to Bribecast. <laughs> no, don't actually do it. <laughs> This is bad advice. I don't know how we got derailed onto this. So, shall we talk about what we have in store? Because I think we've we talked about talking about it, but we haven't actually talked about it. Well, hey, Winter Orb as a continuous artifact, Jose knows this. That's on the show notes. That's true. And it's also true that you know that. Yes. So, something else exciting happened. And that would be? Well... You know how we only had, like, what was it, 77 people that showed up for the last extended PTQ? And we only had, like, less than 100 people show up, I think, for every one of our PTQs in the region because they were extended. Nobody wanted to play with them. You know, nobody wanted to play this format because it sounds terrible, and they only play it for a PTQ, and there's no other time that they get to play with their cards. And then similar arguments were made about block constructed because... You know, nobody wants to play with a format that's only good for a Pro Tour and then nothing else. You know, only if you play in a certain Pro Tour would Block Constructed ever matter for, you know, the Scars of Mirrodin Block. Well, that's no longer the case. So now Friday Night Magic can be scheduled as a Block Constructed event or an extended event. Wahoo! So that's in addition to the Two-Headed Giant Seal, the Two-Headed Giant Standard, the Standard, the Sealed, the Draft. Those were your formats to start off with, but now you have these two additional formats, and I'm actually looking forward to seeing people organize events that are block-constructed. Um, hopefully, actually have an opportunity to do that myself in the future as the stores I'm working with start running FM. Um, I think it would be really a blast. Uh, yeah. Um, now they can not play extended at FNM. <laughs> okay, fine. Maybe not extended, but block constructed seems like a lot of fun. Well, actually, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I'm, I'm actually, um, in the opposite camp. I think extended would be more fun than, than block constructed. But, you know, extended, like, Right now, it suffers from the fact that, you know, you're playing the decks that you played, you know, how many years ago? You can play those with some added cards, you know, that's about it. Like, uh, the last extended was essentially, you know, fairies, uh, uh, Jund, 
the, uh, these decks that have dominated the, the, the standard seasons and people were just sick of seeing them. But now they come back with extra, extra counter spells, you know, <laughs> like extra, extra burn spells. Yay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think extended is actually, you know, a deck builder's paradise. It really is something that you can put a lot of brain power to, um, and come up with some, some really unique decks. However, um, that doesn't happen. A lot of people are lazy. They don't brew. So I think, uh, the, you know, people can blame, uh, extended not getting action, uh, because it's, uh, only a pro tour format, but, um, but really I think it doesn't get action because people don't brew. Um, and I think this change really, uh, helps things out. Because now people can play their wonky decks at Friday Night Magic, see what other people are playing, um, and encourage some some uh, participation. Mm-hmm. I think that that's that's one of the objectives of all this is to really increase participation and get people introduced to formats they might not otherwise play. Um, you know, I think that's one, another reason that extended PTQ season was so poorly attended is because people were like, well, you know. I've never played with these decks before. Like people who have come into the game in the last two years, they've never heard of Extended before. They've never played an event with Extended cards before, other than you know maybe something random, kitchen table sort of thing. So this is one way to introduce them at that other level, which hopefully will lead into better attendance at PTQs and that sort of thing. Of course, that's all conjecture, but one can hope. One can hope. Okay. Well, that's it for the for the F and M changes. Um, now, of course, there are a couple other things that have been announced or at least been introduced to the judge community that I think have really huge implications for the ability of players outside of our you know, local area to really understand judging better and hopefully become judges um, a little more easily. Yeah, well, actually, the are, are you talking about the judge classes? Yeah. So I, I thought they were uh, pretty cool. I think that uh, the idea of having a sort of a, you know, help, a place you can go to uh, to, you know, sort of sharpen your skills and, and learn new ones for judges, I think is a great idea. I mean, you know, your L2 is not necessarily the source of uh, the be-all, end-all source of information, especially if he's busy or you don't know him that well, so you don't spend all that much time with him. Uh, you know, becoming a judge, becoming an L1 is really sort of a lonely road. You you decide, oh, I'm going to be a judge. How do I do that? And, you know, we make this podcast and people find some resources, but really you just study on your own. Um, I think this is, um, you know, this sort of more structured sort of uh, judge class is a great idea. Um, yeah. so but we should we should start by saying what exactly is it is. Right. So these were developed by um, a judge down in Tampa, Florida, um, a level two judge by the name of Justin Turner, along with a whole team of other people that assisted him. Um, and then, of course, the folks at the DCI uh, family dot org wiki. So it's actually that like actually a, a wiki for judges, um, which can be actually accessed by anybody. But um, if you want to actually contribute to it. You just need to sort of go through the normal, how do I get a login for wiki, that sort of thing. Um, anyway, at the dcifamily.org wiki, um, this judge classes page has sort of been developed by Justin, um, and it's got 
nine different lessons on all the different aspects of the comparables that you would really want to focus on if you were going to actually take your level one judge test. And it explains in very plain language, very simply, each of the different parts of basically these large sections of the comp rules distilled down to what do you really need to know to understand? What do you need to get in order to get to level one? And then after each one of these classes, um, you know, these are sort of outlines that you would actually use as you're training somebody or a group of people, or um, you could have somebody sort of self-study and go over them. And then in addition to each of those, there's a practice test. So um, each practice test has, you know, a series of questions. And when you look at the questions, you'll see that, well, they're, they're very similar to, you know, well, actually, actually, they're not very similar, I should say. They're not very similar to what you would find on the actual judge test. Um, instead, um, they're sort of a question set and an answer set, but they're open-ended questions. You know, um, they're open-ended questions so that they they sort of ask, you know, for instance, uh, one of them says, if a player adds mana to their mana pool during their upkeep, when does any unused mana leave their pool? That's just an open-ended question. So there's no way for somebody to just sort of guess the right answer from this test. It's, do you know it or don't you? Uh, which I think is a really good way of, of sort of asking these questions on, on this test. Um, I know that the... The way that we test people online, the way we test people at the judge center, that's there for a reason. Um, but I think if you're trying to really learn this stuff as opposed to just sort of guessing at answers in a computerized test somewhere, this is a really great way to go. Yep. Yeah, um, you know, and the reason, you know, we, we obviously have multiple choice uh, on the uh, judge test proper uh, because, you know, it's easier to automatically grade that way, you know. Right, right. So I think this is really just a fantastic resource. So, of course, um, we will include a link to this section of the Judge Wiki, the Judge Classes section, um, in the show notes, and we hopefully will see each of you, you know, who is interested in becoming a judge. This is another great place to start. Um, You know, for the longest time, I've People ask me, well, how do I become a judge? Where do I start? You know, I said, well, take some practice tests on the judge center and, you know, go from there, take your rules advisor exam. Um, I think I've got a new answer to that question now with this resource out here. Yeah, absolutely. And that sort of goes with what I was saying, too, um, that now there's there's a place where people can go as sort of the, you know, the first step and also to sort of verify, justify their uh the the work and studying that they've been doing, you know, someplace other than just uh, slamming your head against a practice test. That's right. And, yeah, we don't want anybody to, any dents you incur in your forehead as a result of slamming your forehead into uh, practice tests are not the responsibility of JudgeCast or the DCI or Wizards of the Coast. Um, just want to clarify that. Makes sense. It's uh, the responsibility of Sean Cadenisi in particular. Please sue him. <laughs> okay, well, with that out of the way, um, let's see. wanted to talk, I guess, a little bit more about the questions we've got from our listeners. Do we have anything else before we get into our listener questions, Jose? Um, no, I think that's it. Um, yep, I can't think of anything. Okay, awesome. Let me get into it. This one comes in from, let's see, Thomas Medina, and he does not say where he's from. Um, 
do you want to make up a place for him, or should I just say, yeah, this is from Thomas Medina? No, no, I I know Tom Medina actually. Uh, he, um, yeah, yeah, he's from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Are you certain of that, or are you just making that up? And, well, if he's not, he can write into judgecast at gmail dot com, or he can just you know call us out on our Facebook page. Wow, that was a really smooth way to plug those two places that people can get in touch with us on our Facebook page and our Gmail account, uh, judgecast at gmail dot com, and look up judgecast on Facebook. That's fantastic, man. That's that's a great way to plug those. I, I wouldn't have thought of that. I got to do something. Got to earn my wage somehow. All right. Well, let's get into this question. Speaking of wage, I haven't gotten paid yet. Uh, who can I talk to about that? Talk to the sponsors that we don't have. By the way, if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of JudgeCast, you can get in touch with us at, well, I don't think we actually want sponsors, but. Uh, what, what was that? Sponsors? <laughs> I like being a free agent. Seriously, I mean, who's going to sponsor this crap? Okay. Emphasis on the free. <laughs> okay. So, this question from Thomas <clears throat> is a quick question regarding the new Frexia FAQ about Slag Fiend. It says that Slag Fiend's, Fiend's power and toughness setting ability works in all zones, not just the battlefield. He wants to know if this is a departure from the normal rule that a star on a card not in play is zero, like Sushirt Ghoul's reminder text. And he actually, you know, I hadn't heard of this in a long time about this reminder text on Sutured Ghoul. I'd totally forgotten about it. Um, but if you actually look at the card, Sutured Ghoul, um, you will see that it says in little italics, in parentheses at the bottom of the card, you know, this is a, this is a zero when it's not in play. Um, and of course now, that's wrong. Well, Sutured Ghoul is lying to you. Sutured Ghoul, seven mana trample as it enters the battlefield and exile any number of creature cards from your graveyard has power equal to the total power of the exiled cards and toughness equal to their total toughness. Um, since those two abilities are linked, um, if you don't exile anything with Sutured Ghoul, which of course you haven't if it's in your library or, uh, anything, then, um, then uh, its power toughness is going to be zero zero. So is Carl Critchlow, the artist on Sutured Ghoul. I what? hate that guy. Really? I hate his art. I hate his art with a passion. Not to not to art geek out on too many people because I'm sure they don't listen to this or uh, to satisfy their Vorthosian tendencies. But um, yeah, Carl Critchlow um, should not have quit his day job. He made one cool raised dead art, and that was it. And that's today's episode of Jose's Art Corner. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's the back corner. (laughs) Well, actually, you know, judges have a history of actually loving art. Um, I think I've seen more judges buying original art for different cards and magic than pretty much any other type of of player. I know that Ricky, for instance, has the original art for, I think, three or four different cards, maybe even five. Um, he's he's definitely a collector, so I, that's not unheard of. Sweet. Um, okay, well, back to the Thomas's question, though. Um, Thomas wanted to know, you know, why does Slagfiend say this in the in the New Phyrexia FAQ, and then why does Suture Ghoul say something else? Well... The reason is that the reminder text on Sutured Ghoul is no longer correct. Now, it was correct at some point, um, and I actually didn't track back to where this changed. However, 
um, currently and for quite some time, characteristic defining abilities, which is what that little star slash star in the uh, bottom right-hand corner of the card signifying its power and toughness, that is a characteristic defining ability. There are some others. We'll cover those in a second. Um, characteristic defining abilities work in all zones. So that means that they work in the library, they work in your hand, they work in exile, they work in, um, you know, on the battlefield. Um, they work everywhere yep. and in the graveyard. They're, they're everywhere that a card can be, that characteristic defining ability will apply. So, yeah, the, the whole idea is wild pairs in play. Uh, you cast a 4-4 creature, and you have there are four creatures in all graveyards. Mortivore in your library is a 4-4. Um, that characteristic divining ability applies there, and you could go find it with your wild pair trigger. Um, now, there are other characteristic defining abilities also. Um, do you want to go over what those are? Do, do you want me to go over them? Well, just a few of them. We, we don't have to cover every single one of them, but I think we should probably cover a few of the more common other types of characteristic defining abilities just so that people understand sort of what what they are. Sure. And let's just take the excerpt from the comp rules so we can talk about characteristic defining abilities in a little bit more context. Um, so a characteristic defining ability um, is a static ability that conveys information about an object's characteristics that would normally be found elsewhere on that object, such as its mana cost um, or its type or its power and toughness. Um, so a characteristic defining ability applies in all zones, um, and if you want to figure out if your static ability that you're looking at is a characteristic defining ability, the best way to do that is to just check a few things. Uh, does it define an object's colors? Uh, for instance, uh, Pact Navigation saying that I am blue. Um, that's one example of a characteristic defining ability. Um, does it define its subtypes? Um, that would be something like um, Shape Share with the ability Changeling. That is a characteristic defining ability because it defines its subtypes. It says it has all these creature types. Don't forget kobolds. Exactly. It is a it is a mutant ninja kobold. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, don't forget kobolds. They say they're red after all. Ah, yes. Okay, that's that's definitely defining colors. Um, then also, if it defines its power or toughness, that's another example of a characteristic defining ability. So it doesn't have to define both. It can just define one of them. For instance, a wilderness elemental has just its power defined as a characteristic defining ability. Well, that'll still apply in all zones. Um, just like Morrow will apply in all zones because it's power and toughness. And so, because Mark Rosewater said so. Right. <laughs> um, also, so it has to do one of those things. It has to define an object's colors, subtypes, power, toughness. Um, it also needs to be printed on the card it affects. Another way to determine that is if it acquired that ability by being a copy of something else. Um, so, for instance, if I clone my mirror entity, the ability of changeling on my clone is a characteristic defining ability. Okay, that, 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 that makes more sense, yeah. Okay. Um, also, um, it can't directly affect the characteristics of any other object. A static ability is not a CDA if it sets the values of its color or subtypes of power toughness only if certain conditions are met. So what that means is like um, something with threshold. 
like, um, say, your, uh, what is it, Possessed Vampire? Not a Possessed Vampire, Repentant Vampire. Repentant Vampire, yeah. Right. Um, the thing that makes it white, that's not a characteristic-defining ability because it's dependent on some other condition being met. Okay? I see. So, to review, a CDA is something that defines an object's color, type, power, or toughness. It's printed on the card, and it really only affects the one card it's printed on. Um, and an exception would be if something becomes a copy of it, it gains the CDAs of whatever it's copying. Right. So any if, if it affects other cards, it's just a static ability. Right. Great. Okay. Sutured, going back to the question, right? Sutured Ghoul uh, is a liar. It was printed when back when uh, stars on a card not not on the battlefield are zero, um, but now that's not true. So your Sutured Ghoul in your library is probably a zero zero. Um, if it's in the graveyard, though, what happens? Does it lose track of uh, its linked abilities? No, if it's if it's been put onto the battlefield and it's uh, I think it's a static ability actually that removes the uh, is it as it enters the battlefield? Yeah, as. Okay, so it's a static ability that actually removes the creatures in your graveyard, uh, exiles them, and sets the power and toughness accordingly. Um, that static ability there that sets that power and toughness um, that's going to work wherever. Sutured Ghoul is, as long as it's happened already. Okay. It always works. It's just that if it hasn't happened yet, then it sees zero power and toughness. Right. Okay, that, that about covers uh, Sutured Ghoul and uh, Carl Critchlow's uh, sad attempt at scaring us. Right. One other interesting place that this comes up is in Elder Dragon, I'm sorry, in Commander. Um, <laughs> With the card duplicant, um, duplicant um, matters in that if duplicant exiles a creature card, and that creature's power and toughness are defined by a characteristic defining ability, that CDA continues to work in the exile zone, and it will continue to change or influence what duplicant's power and toughness are once duplicants on the battlefield. Yep, I got a I got a question asked uh, during uh, the Thursday night uh, Elder uh, Commander now uh, tournaments uh, at uh, one of the shops here. Somebody asked me, "Oh, I just duplicated uh, somebody's Psychosis Crawler, uh, and he has Reliquary Tower out. Uh, how big is the uh, Psychosis Crawler?" And I said, "Well, it's always changing. Uh, keep track." <laughs> <laughs> And it also comes up, by the way, um, when it comes to commander, because if you use duplicant to take out somebody's commander and they decide to put it in the commander zone, the duplicant does not get the power toughness because it's not exiled. Right. Right. And that's that's more a factor of, of it being a linked ability, that it needs that card out there to uh, to decide what it is. And right. it actually says that on the card for as long as it's in exile. Well, it yep. says that in, in Oracle, <laughs> for as long as it's in exile, um, then, or for as long as it's exile, it, that's when it applies. Um, okay, well, good. Um, let's see, do we want to talk about another listener question? Yeah. Okay, so we got actually a series of questions from a gentleman named Eric. Um, and Eric, 
uh, initially asked this question sort of in a, a weird way that I couldn't quite answer succinctly. So, um, where's Eric from? Um, you know, Eric is from, let's say Eric is from Whoville because he doesn't tell us where he's from. Ah. Okay. So, <clears throat> um, so basically he wants to know if he can, um, attack with a bunch of mirror, um, and then use a mirror galvanizer's ability to untap them so that they can then be tapped again for a mirror battle spheres triggered ability. Oh, I see. No. So basically he attacks with five or say, say four mirror tokens and a mirror battle sphere, and then he uses mirror galvanizer's ability to untap all his mirror, and then he wants to tap them when mirror battle spheres triggered ability resolves so he can deal a bunch of damage to his opponent. He wants to know, are my creatures still attacking? Because they untapped and tapped again in the middle of combat. Um, you know, can explain that bit. And then, if they can do that, the next question was, well, can I use two mirror galvanizers? Tap them, untap them, tap them, and untap them again, so that way I can, you know, get twice as much damage out of my mirror battle sphere trigger. Ooh. Um, <laughs> not not quite. So let's let's go through this. Okay. So the first problem is that he can't attack with a creature and also tap it for mana at the same time. So he can't use his mirror. You know, if they're mana mirror, he can't use them and get mana out of them while he's attacking with them at the same time, unless he's using mirror galvanizer. True. So what he'd need to do is either declare it as an attacker or activate its mana ability. Can't do both at the same time. However. If well, uh, are you talking about, is he talking about uh, mirrors with mana abilities? Because mirror galvanizer, galvanizer does not have a mana ability. No, he's talking about, um, say, instead of just the four mirror tokens that come with the mirror battle sphere, say he has a leaden mirror that comes along ah, with that. I see. So, yes, you cannot you cannot attack with it and tap it at the same time. Right. For, you need to decide what you're using. It's, it's tap ability. Are you, are you using the tap ability, or are you attacking with it? That's a first question to answer. Right, exactly. So if he's attacking with it, though, he can untap it, and it will still be attacking. So it's sort of like it's got Vigilance, but only if he makes it untap somehow. Right. It's the blue version of Vigilance. The reason they uh, color-shifted Vigilance into uh, blue uh, during Planar Chaos is because since blue untaps creatures a lot, it's like Vigilance. So they figured, ah, it's fine. Thus, the printing of Sarah Sphinx. Wow, I did not know that. Uh, that's why you keep me around. Okay, wow, that's that's the more you know. <laughs> so okay, so yeah, he can he can untap it in response to uh, the tr- mirror battle spheres trigger going on the stack. He doesn't need to tap uh, mirrors for it until the ability resolves. I actually had uh, somebody throw a batter skull on his mirror battle sphere and attack me with it, and then he tapped his four tokens, and I said, your Battlesphere has Vigilance, why not tap that too? And he said, oh, yeah, you're right, and he tapped it, and uh, it did a lot of damage and gained a lot of life. That sounds like a bad idea, Jose. Like, like why do you have to help your opponents win? Like, there's a, there's a fine line here between I being saw- a good judge and <laughs> being a good player and you really erred on the side of being a good judge in, in the educational side of being a judge, that is. Um, oh, come on. I, for, well, uh, two, two reasons. One, I saw it as a teaching moment. My opponent walked away from that moment really just 
better prepared to take on future players. Number two, I think I had like a plated sea strider out, and that's it. Okay, so you were going to lose anyway, so you might as well lose with style. I was facing down a battle battle sphere and a batter skull. So it was more like a batter sphere, is what you mean. Batter sphere, yes. Like a fried ball of mirror. Fried ball of mirror. That sounds kind of yummy, actually. I think of uh, like calamari. I think it'd be pretty crunchy. So, so there's, there's another question here from Eric, though, and that is that he wants to know if he has two galvanizers out and he has the battle sphere trigger on the stack, can he, as the battle sphere triggers resolving, can he tap a bunch of mirror, untap them with one of the galvanizers, tap them again, untap them, tap them again? Can he basically get into some sort of a combo here where he gets, you know, a ton of damage out of a single battle sphere trigger? Uh, no. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He can't. Because um, once a trigger resolves, um, that's when you pay for it in toto. You can't, while something is resolving, uh, do something else. Right. You can't activate abilities in the middle of one other ability resolving. Um, right. Yeah. So that's that's and that's what would need to happen for that. Um, yeah. When it says tap X mirror, you tap X mirror. You don't tap and untap, tap and untap, tap and untap X mirror. It's just Tap X mirror. Yeah. So that handles Eric's question. Uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> He's got one more. Oh, okay. Eric from Whoville asks um, a completely different question that has nothing at all to do with mirror. Okay. Instead, he says, my opponent has Child of Alara and Renegade Doppelganger on the battlefield. I have Shapesharer. He wants to know if he activates Shapesharer and turns Renegade Doppelganger into a copy of Child of Alara, do they both go to the graveyard and do they both trigger? Ah, I see. Well, uh, I guess that one's pretty easy to answer. Isn't Child of Alara a legendary creature? Child of Alara is a legendary creature. In fact, it's a it's something that somebody uses as their general pretty pretty commonly, actually, surprisingly commonly, um, in in my local commander groups here. Um, you you told him that uh, Child of Alara isn't going to kill anything if they put it in the uh, commander zone, right? Oh yeah, no, they, they're they're they specialize in uh, actually bringing it back from the graveyard, some in all sorts of ways. Ah, uh, fun! Wow, that sounds fun. Oh my God, that guy really gets commander. Oh my God, this. Okay, com- okay, okay. <laughs> I understand that. You don't like degenerate combos in Commander. You know that the, you know what the last Commander deck I built was? Uh, was not your Mark Tadeen EDH. No. It is a Jasmine Boreal Vanilla Creatures deck. Oh, with like uh, Muraganda Petroglyphs and stuff? Or? Yep, Muraganda Petroglyphs, uh, all sorts of bears, lots of bears, some, some apes, Barbary apes, classic. Yeah, wow, uh, that's um, that's special. That's a very special deck, Jose. Yep, thank you, thank you. Now, I put Scion of the Wild in that deck. Do you know what Scion of the Wild does? I don't know what Scion of the Wild does. Let's all go to Gatherer and look it up. It, uh, it's oh, a th- it has a characteristic defining ability, doesn't it? It does. I somehow remember this from some th- something. So now, my question is, is it a vanilla creature? Well, just because its ability is 
a characteristic defining ability doesn't it's mean that it's an not ability. an ability. It's still right. an ability. Absolutely. It still is an ability, uh, so it will not get the bonus from Muragana Petroglyphs. Right. But it does, however, get the bonuses from all the tokens that are blank blanks uh, in the deck. So it, it still is worth a shot. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, not a, it's not a vanilla guy. There's a few non-vanilla guys in there. I guess let's let's talk a little bit more about Eric's question though here because Charles Valara has um, actually some some interesting implications when when two copies of it go to the graveyard. Um, first off, um, it says when it goes to the grave when it's put into the graveyard from the battlefield, destroy all non-land permanents. They can't be regenerated. Um, so the fact that it's actually saying from the battlefield means that. It's triggering from the battlefield. Remember about triggered abilities. We talked about this a few times, but it's worth going over again. Um, they will look back in time to see the game state before and after an event and decide, you know, what's changing in that event and is that the condition that makes my triggered ability trigger? Um, but they'll actually see the battlefield, see the game state just before that event occurs. So... Um, when Child of Alara is on the battlefield, put into a graveyard, um, you actually do have two Child of Alara triggers that go on the stack and resolve separately. Um, when a Renegade Doppelganger that's a copy of Child of Alara is put into the graveyard also as a state-based action because it's a copy of Child of Alara. Yes. So the answer to the question is... You can copy Child of Alara, but as uh, soon as that resolves, state-based actions will be checked before a player receives priority. And then uh, both the child and the doppel child uh, will be put into the graveyard, and two triggers will go on the uh, stack. Right, one from each of them. Great. Yep. Okay, and you cool. destroy everything twice. Right. I... I I mean, because they can't be regenerated, I don't know why destroying things twice would necessarily matter, but I suppose it's possible that somebody could, you know, try flashing in Venser between the two just to see what would happen. Uh, yeah, more likely the guy playing Ural the Miststalker with his Bear Umbra on it will be extra sad. Ah, that's amazing. That's a great, great way to discuss that. Okay. You just made it relevant. Ha <laughs> ha, yay. <laughs> Of relevance. I strive for it every day on this podcast. Okay. Well, um, that is, I think, all the questions we had for our from our listeners here. Let me just double-check here. Anything came in during our... Let's see. Yep, I think that's everything. Okay. Well... People are not writing us enough. Ah, you know, they are. They are writing us a bunch of questions. It's it's just a matter of answering them. You know, I, I answer them in all sorts of other ways. Actually, you know what? That's something that just occurred to me. I think I answered a couple questions on Facebook here that did not actually make it into the show. Let me just double check. Oh, yes. Uh, this was a question that came in from uh, Jeremy Olds. Uh, he's one of the better local players, which actually kind of surprised me that he asked this question, but let's mention it anyway. Um... He says, you know, if I have Venser the Sojourner and my opponent plays uh, Venser the Shaper Savant, um, do they kill each other? 
<laughs> See, that's a great Vorthosian question. Because, like, how did that happen, you know? Because right, they, they should kill each other, shouldn't they? I mean, th- that feels like they should. Yeah, like somebody plays Karn Silver Golem and then somebody else slams down Karn Liberated and they kind of look at each other and they go, you're from the future, aren't you? And then Karn Liberated goes, yeah. Yeah, that's sort of an awkward moment there. Yeah. Can I still make artifacts into creatures? Karn looks at them and goes, get out of here. I mean, what I want to know is what happens when, when Kamal Pitfighter and Kamal Fist of Croza are on the battlefield at the same time. I mean, that's got to be an awkward meeting. <laughs> and don't you, don't you figure that, some, well, you know, they solve this, of course, for planeswalkers. Like a Johnny Vengeant and a Johnny Goldman can't be there at once, you know, even though they're kind of like different versions of each other. Like a Johnny Vengeant is the young, uh, angry Johnny. Thinks he can take on the world. They're at the very after the the Johnny Goldmane, which is the more mature of the two. Right. Yeah, and that also confuses people. Right. A Johnny Goldmane is the older version of a Johnny. A Johnny Vengeant came first, uh, storyline wise, and then a Johnny Vengeant is the older version. Then in that sense. Yeah. But I guess he's aged more if he's Goldmane, so he is technically older. Yeah, Goldmane is confusing myself. You're, yeah, you're totally, yeah. You've confused me. I was on a roll. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's wrap it up by sufficing to say that, uh, or by letting it suffice to say that um, a creature with the same similar name as a planeswalker, um, they will not kill each other. Um, planeswalkers are put into the graveyard as a state-based action when there are two that have the same subtype, such as, um, a Johnny Vengeance and a Johnny Goldmane both having the same subtype of a Johnny. Uh, more commonly these days, it's Jace Balaren and Jace the Mind Sculptor having the same subtype as Jace. Okay. Um, and then legendary creatures are put into the graveyard as a state-based action when um, they share a name with another permanent. So, for instance, um, Vencer the Sojourner... I'm sorry, not Vencer the Sojourner. Vencer Shaper Savant... And another Vencer Shaper Savant both enter the battlefield. Um, you know, they'll both be put into the graveyard as a state-based action. Or, of course, more commonly, if a clone of Vencer Shaper Savant enters the battlefield, both will be put into the graveyard as a state-based action. Um, including before either of them could bounce one or the other. Right, uh, exactly. Um, but what's cool is that if somebody, you know, clones Child of Alara and things are going to get destroyed, Venser Shaper Savan can come in and save Venser the Sojourner before that stuff happens. Wow. Way to tie it all together. That's, that's pretty awesome. So, but what happens if you have a Venser the Sojourner and somebody plays Venser Durgast? Uh, the same English name. Thank you for clarifying. The same English name. Just doing my duty. All right. Well, do we have any other questions from listeners that have come in or any other questions you'd like to talk about? Yes. Why does Carl Critchlow still get work? All right. So any other questions about uh, judging that we'd want to talk about? Oh, wait. We should probably tell people, uh, give people a... uh, Give people an update on the uh, California Canada Magic Judge Challenge. Also, 
That's that's a great branding for it. I was calling it uh, the California stomping of Canada into the tundra challenge. Well, we wanted to put it out there that, of course, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, three level two judges here in California, David Zimmett, Michael Jimenez, and myself, have all sort of gone in on this uh, challenge with some folks up in Canada, Kyle Rick, Charlotte Sable, and Max Nolan. Um, to get our respective regions up to 100 judges and also five promotions. Uh, the first group to do that um, then wins this challenge, and the other losing side will have to, of course, uh, buy the winner's dinner at the next large event uh, after the victory. So uh, with that out of the way, we have our first promotion as part of this challenge. Uh, Tim Froelig has upgraded from level 1 to level 2, um, of course, Tim is well-known in the Bay Area as one of the um, better players that we see at the top tables at PTQs and that sort of thing. Um, he's been a level one judge for quite some time, um, but he's, of course, um, definitely qualified um, as level two. Of course, he's passed his test. Um, also, of course, in Canada, um, we actually had a couple people level up there, uh, Cam Lee and Alex Cumming, both level into level one. So they're not qualifying in the uh, promotions section, but they are qualifying in the uh, other sections. Um, and I think we also had one more happen in California here, and I don't see it on the page, so I'm going to have to go double-check that. But I believe we did have one more person level up from zero to one. So um, I don't know that we're that far behind, and we're certainly ahead in the promotions. So, Man, neck and neck. Yeah, care to be promotion number two? Oh, yeah, I'm working on it. All right, all right. I'm just, I'm just saying. I still want my name tag. <laughs> all right, well, well. next time I'm ruffling through Eric Levine's underwear drawer, I'll let you know if I find it. Okay, good Good deal, good deal. Uh, I don't want to know anything else in there. I just want to know about my badge. All right, I will let you know. Sweet. So, do we have anything else for our listeners? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, from all of us here at JudgeCast, this is Sean Kenanese. I keep it fair. And Jose Bovida. I keep it fun. Thanks for listening. And remember, kids, call a judge. I can make sounds. But they usually all sound like farts.